something great about the day here. It's wonderful weather for a Sunday afternoon. Swelling the crowd even further. And as mentioned, it's by no means one way here, the support. Benfica have a tremendous following. I think that surprises many of us who visit every year for the International Champions Cup, actually, just how well supported they are across the United States. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 56 of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinho, back with you here. It's been a little while, but I am back, and I sure hope everybody is doing okay out there. Um, I'm thinking about each and every one of you guys every single day, all right? Um, this virus, I know it's, it's, it's spread across the whole world right now and everything has come to a standstill and sports right now are the last thing on most people's minds. But, uh, this week I bring you a very special episode this week. We're going to travel in the DeLorean, in the Wayback machine, old school style. It's not a watch along, but it's going to be, um, a retrospective look, an old school review of a different era for sure in a different time in football in a different time in Benfica as this week we're reviewing the 1982-83 season for Sport Lisboa Benfica and I'm going to give you a disclaimer I've already recorded the episode um, this is an episode that I put a lot a lot of work into um I thought by watching the two-hour video on YouTube about this season, very, very well put together video, by the way, that I do want to give props to the YouTuber that put that video out. Um, the name of the U the YouTube account is called DF Doge. So that's D is in David, F is in Frank, space the Portuguese word Doge. DF Doge is the name of the channel. It is the 82-83 Benfica season. Fantastic video, just match by match, you know, with piecing together different parts of video. Some from Telejournal, some from Vitória de Patrimonio, some from um, other sources, some from, from people's personal libraries. Fantastic, fantastic stuff put together with interviews, with music. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal film. Uh, for YouTube, and um, if this podcast ever reaches uh, the owner of that Facebook page, I'm sorry, of that YouTube, thank you, thank you, thank you. Without that video, this episode is not possible, all right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, but I thought I could watch that in that two-hour uh, video and quickly make a podcast and guess what there is so much in this in this uh, season so much going on uh, Benfica fighting on all fronts and um, well it doesn't all fit in one podcast I'm gonna be up front with y'all all right it's not all gonna fit in one podcast this is part one of three okay covering 1982-83 three-part trifecta a mini-series, a trilogy, if you will. Um, today we're going to cover the bulk of the season. All right, we're going to go right up until the beginning of April. So there's a lot of memorable matches we're going to talk about in this episode. A lot of uh, memorable things to, to discuss. Um, 
and just to relive and for me to live for the first time. I mean, I was born midway through this season uh, that we're talking about, so I obviously don't remember any of this, nor was any of this available, I don't think, to anyone here in the United States at this time. Um, anyone living abroad, I don't know that RTPI even existed in 1982, 83. Um, so for a lot of, of, of uh, listeners, I think this could be the first time for many of you seeing some of these video uh, clips, some of this footage, and some of these interviews. So um, I hope everyone enjoys this episode. It, it I put a lot of work into this one. I do want to just put it out there. This is the most bilingual episode I've ever put out, okay? All of the the audio that I added is in Portuguese, okay? I did my best to translate everything after I heard it, okay? After I played it, I should say. Um, I think I got to everything. I think I summarized everything. But if you want to hit that forward 15 second a couple times, you can skip through some of the audio. But I think it gives it gives just a a nice bit of nostalgia, even if you don't understand the words. It's not. I think just hearing the 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 um, monologue, not monologue, but the the mono sound, you know, as opposed to stereo. Um, just hearing that analog. Thank you is the word I'm looking for. The analog, uh, you know sound and just it's fantastic with with you know really uh old school music being played over a lot of the the audio um real real nostalgic uh video that i watched and i also used uh wikipedia to uh get some more data about certain matches, minutes of goals and uh attendance numbers in in the uefa cup um You'll notice in the in the episode, I keep wanting to call the UEFA Cup the Europa League or the UEFA League. Uh, did my best to limit that. Um, I think you'll you'll enjoy this, especially anyone who is like me that's kind of just into the the old school stuff and the history. Um, my worlds really collide in, in this type of episode where I get to talk soccer and about you know stuff in the past and the the retro uniforms the kits they're fantastic um brilliant brilliant stuff and i really enjoyed putting this together but it was a lot of work it took me about five and a half hours to watch and take notes of the entire episode the entire video i should say um and like i said it doesn't all fit in one episode so this is the first installment in the trilogy here um i also just want to to uh point out that um this, there's a lot of borrowed audio in this and um i do believe that i'm within the fair use um fair use laws if you will um reporting on things that happen using artifacts from that time uh it's on youtube so i mean uh it doesn't violate their their standards you know, the video hasn't been taken down on their standards, so I think that the audio is okay for this format, for this uh, platform. Um, and I hope everyone enjoys it, like I said. Um, I also want to, uh, before we get into Reconquista and before we go pay a bill, I do want every, I do want to give a shout-out to Benfica Independent. I have been listening to their episodes this week. Their uh, Benfica in Quarantena uh, great, great, great conversations they're having with with uh, with Carlos Moser, with Tony, 
Uh, I believe tomorrow they're dropping one with Diamantino, who is a name we're going to hear in this episode quite a bit. Um, also, with with basketball player Pedro Miguel, I especially liked that one. You all know that how much I, I like Benfica basketball, how much uh, I follow it, and I do like the game of basketball. My my <laughs> refuge from from frustrating soccer a lot of times, frustrating football, if I'm frustrated with something, is to watch a little bit of basketball and to just get over that and, uh, you know, really enjoy watching the off the ball movements and the the zone defense aspects of basketball and it's cool when you if you if you understand portuguese catch the pedro miguel episode if you like basketball i mean this is the portuguese john stockton and you know sergio and gracia he he points to that in the interview he in <laughs> pedro miguel says nah nah he goes yeah i see the resemblance but my re- my point of reference or my inspiration was magic johnson growing up and um you know pedro Miguel was a great point guard for Benfica in the 1990s. And uh, he talks about um, how Portuguese basketball players should watch college basketball here in the United States more than the NBA um, because of the movements and the defense, the zone defense. And he, he says, you know, that the NBA and the playoffs is a phenomenal product, but, but how it is, uh, how in the, the regular season is kind of a cakewalk. He says the same about the Portuguese Basketball League, and he, he attributes that to Benfica's failure this year in the Europe Cup, um, in the FIBA Europe Cup. So if you're into that, check it out. Also, the the, the stories Mozart tells about playing for Benfica, playing for Tony, uh, playing against a lot of the guys that, playing with, I should say, the guys that we talk about in this episode years later, Carlos Manel, uh, Diamantino, um, he talks about guys like uh, and playing against Fernando Couto from from Porto, and he talks about uh, you know just missing out on being coached by Sven Joran Eriksson, all of that good stuff. Um, it's great content. Uh, I am a patron of Benfica Independent now. I believe I I announced that on a previous episode, but honestly, you've got two bucks a month. Give it to these guys. It's more than worth it. It's more more worth it than Benfica play. I will. I have no problem saying that. All right. Um, if you're gonna spend, if you're gonna spend your money on either or, Benfica Independent is definitely the better value, better content. Uh, shout out to all those guys. Uh, great work. Keep it coming. I'm enjoying every bit of it. All right. Let's uh, pay a bill real quick and listen to Reconquista and then get into 1982-83. This is Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu. And you can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. On Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. And also at MrBenfica.com. And if you haven't and you watched this video yet and you want to watch it before we talk about it, I'm totally cool with you hitting the pause button right now. Go into the show notes. Click on the link. It's there. The link to the YouTube for this video that we're basically using as the reference for this season. All right. We'll be right back here on Mr. Benfica. Don't move a muscle. Unless you're going to watch the video, then move a muscle. Go watch the video, and I'll I'll talk to you when you're done and you come back. Yeah. <laughs> 
sofrida A glória da vitória tem que ser bem nutrida Na reconquista do que é nosso Por direito que não fico Por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora Nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos Do que é nosso por direito Que não vi por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Ouve a nossa sorte O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de Welcome back to episode 56 of Mr. Benfica. Of course, we're going in the Wayback Machine. We're kicking it old school tonight. And we're looking at the historic 1982-83 season for Sport Lisboa Benfica. And what you heard off the top there was um, a little bit of an introduction from the YouTube video that I have posted in the show notes. I've posted the link to it. Very, very good uh, film, really. Two hours and 22 minutes. I thought that, you know, I could get through that in, in about four hours taking notes and get ready to uh, do this podcast. But you know what? It took much longer than that. There's just so much in that piece. Uh, it's it's a phenomenal, a phenomenal uh, bit of work from the the creator of that film, you know, piecing together different pieces of uh, footage from both Vittoria's uh, Vittorio Patrimonio and from this Orange One coverage. Um, 
a lot of a lot of footage of Telejournal as well, rare footage really, and you can see that that uh, there is different quality in the in the images as. Um, Portuguese television at that time was, you know, it was still in, in somewhat of an infancy in terms of producing content in color. Um, there was still a lot of black and white programming on Portuguese television in the early 80s. And um, I believe it looks like some of that footage is colored by hand. I, I'm not an expert. I'm not going to say it. Um, I'm not going to say for sure that that's the case, but it, it appears to my eye that some of that footage is colored by hand or post, you know, uh, remastered, if you will, uh, into colored, into color. And, uh, that's why it, it, it's an interesting quality in the image, but definitely really cool to look back at football as it looked, you know, in full stadiums, you know, with most matches kicking off at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Um, something that they've talked about in England for a long time as well. Uh, protecting that's for them. It's Saturday at four, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps Saturday at three, somewhere in the middle of the afternoon on that day, protecting uh, that time frame for for football stadiums and for not televising football during that hour. Uh, most of these league games were not televised, if any of them. I'm not sure any of them were televised. Um, that's why we're looking at newsreel footage throughout this film. Um, the only type of real, you know, TV broadcast quality footage we have is from the UEFA Cup games because I those were televised. The European matches have always been televised since there's been the capability for live television to do so in Portugal, but league matches very rarely televised in those days. And um, stadiums were full as a result, and there's still there's traditionalists that would like to go back to that in, in the current setup of the league and, you know, how far we've come, right? Liga Nós today basically owned by a television property by a telecommunications company, Nós, of course, and um, it, the league now runs solely for television. We have empty stadiums because we play games at inconvenient hours on inconvenient days just so that every match can be televised. Um, very much a television-driven league nowadays. 37 years ago, that was not the case. So, um, just a little bit of, of of background, you know, information into what was going on in, in football at the time. The the league in 82-83 is hot off the heels of a fantastic World Cup. World Cup 82 in Spain was just off the charts. Um, very, very popular World Cup. Brazil were the darlings of the World Cup. They did not win it, and to this day, many people still say it's the best of Brazil team ever assembled. Ironically, they did not win the World Cup out of the, f you know, Brazil with five World Cups. They, the most Brazilians that have been around long enough to to know will tell you that that '82 team featuring Zico, Falcão, uh. Socrates and, and and company was the best Brazil team ever assembled, even though they did not win the World Cup. And um, you know the game is, is is on fire at this point. TV coming into play, like we said, um, European nights absolutely become special. And uh, the video there. The intro asks you, where were you in 82, 83? And it goes on to list, you know, 
Were you were you in Seville for the game against Betis, or were you in Rome, or you know at the uh, the Antes in Porto? Were you at the Luz, you know? And then he, the narrator, says, "Sit back and relax as we go through and relive the, a historic season for Befica." And that is uh, how the video starts, of course. And we do see an acknowledgement at the beginning in the screen as the the filmmaker thanks all of the the support and the help he had. He includes BTV in there. He includes, actually, um, Befica FM's Baquero in there as well. And a few other people as it looks like he borrowed uh, footage from people's personal tape library. And when you're watching the film, you can see some of the footage is definitely a VHS tape, you know, that had been recorded. Uh, someone had watched it on, on television and recorded it to a VHS tape. You can see the tracking lines, very small tracking lines. You can see some of the color distortion on both the top and the bottom of the screen at times, um, usually a sign of VHS um, especially as VHS tape gets older, sometimes the picture and the the color and the quality of the picture, you lose a little bit of it. But uh, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic blast of nostalgia watching this over. And, and I really, really enjoyed watching it. And this is quite a season to talk about. So in addition to the, the film, I, I'm using Wikipedia as well. Um, as Wikipedia has match results and it has uh, match reports in it, uh, statistics, things like that. Um, but we start off um, being introduced to our new manager. So uh, without further ado, let's hear the words of the new manager, none other than the now legendary Worldwide known, acclaimed, legendary manager Sven Joran Eriksson. Here is Sven upon his uh, talking about, I should say, much many years later, but talking about his arrival to the Stade de Luge in 1982. When uh, my Swedish agent Börje Lanz uh, contacted me and said Benfica would be interested, I said yes, I'm coming <laughs> because I mean Benfica today and. Um, even 82, huge club, big, big club, famous in all the world. And uh, Eusebio, of course, everyone in the football world knows Eusebio. So I accepted it, uh, and we talked money later. I and those were the words of, of Sven Joran Eriksson talking years later about his arrival at Benfica. And so... Ericsson arrives in the summer of 1982, 34 years old at the time, replacing Lajos Baratti um, at a time where foreign managers was really the status quo in Portugal. Uh, very different from what we see today with the, with the big three all being managed by Portuguese managers and for the most part young Portuguese managers. That wasn't really the, the, the fashion back then. It was either foreign managers or it was really old Portuguese. Portuguese managers, but it was believed, and um, Benfica very rarely at this point in their history had won championships with the Portuguese manager. Uh, there were a few in there, but for the most part, um, since you know the 50s, Benfica had been relying on foreign managers going all the way back to Otto Gloria and to um, his name is escaping me now. Is we have a curse uh, named after him, but the Hungarian there, um, but all the way 
through you know the 70s with with English managers and now we we arrive in 1982 and it is Swedish uh manager Sven Joran Eriksson who replaces Lajos Barotti like we said and Eriksson is fresh off winning the UEFA Cup the previous season with the Swedish side Gothenburg um he he's got four seasons as a manager under his belt a bit inexperienced, but um, very much in the fashion of a manager we see today. So really ahead of his time was Ericsson at, um, coming into this season. And he did he did release several players from the squad. And only Diamantino was added, Diamantino Miranda. And I believe he returned from alone. Let's get right in to the roster for this season before we go any further talking about the matches let's talk about the squad all right so there was some transfers coming in but here is the squad let's let's talk about transfers first actually um players that came in uh was there was a goalkeeper who came in um, at the end of the previous season, who was Delgado, he came in from Portimonense for an undisclosed fee. Diamantino, like we said, returned from a loan at Boa Vista. And then later in January of 1983, in the, there was no transfer window back then. I almost said in the transfer window, but um, there was no such thing back then. Transfers could happen all season long. But on January 10th of 1983, midseason, uh, Benfica would sign Glenn Stromberg from Ericsson's former club, Gothenburg. But here's a list of the players who were out. So this is after the hiring of, or the uh, yeah, the appointing of Svenjorn Ericsson. Out is Reinaldo Gomes, Alberto Fonseca, and Antonio Butelho. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Gomes and Fonseca go to Boavista on freeze. Antonio Botelho goes to Amora. Joel Almeida, Francisco Vital, and Jorge Martins leave on freeze to Farense. João Laranjeira goes to Amora on a free. Cavungi goes to Alcobaça. Paulo Campos to Farense. Jorge Gomes goes to Braga undisclosed. And Cesar Oliveira will go undisclosed to Grêmio in Brazil, Grêmio Porto Alegre, of course. And out on loan, Benfica send Fernando Folha to Varzim. That is the transfers for the season. Now, here is the roster. All right, and there, it's a pretty, it's a pretty long roster. Um, like I said, some of these players would eventually go out on loan. Um, let me, as I scroll through, okay, all the players that went out on loan are not listed on this roster, but goalkeeper was uh, Manel Bent was the number one, uh, the legend. Um, he's 30, 35 years old, I believe, at this time, and still the number one, still Portugal's number one at this time as well. Um, Pietra, Antonio Veloso, Tony, Humberto Coelho, and Alvaro Magaranj, along with Federico Rosa, Alberto Bastos Lopes, Carlos Pereira, and Antonio Bastos Lopes, all defenders on this roster. And uh, that is a solid, solid backline. What today's 2019-20 Benfica who would have accomplished with a backline like this. They'd be undefeated in the Liga Nage right now if we had this kind of backline. 
So much talent there. So many hard-nosed, strong defenders that can attack as well, that can play with the ball on their feet, but can tackle hard when necessary in midfield. José Luis, a current BTV commentator. João Alves, the man with the black gloves. Always playing in black gloves. That's right, João Alves plays his entire career wearing black gloves. Carlos Manel, uh, Nene, listed as a as a forward. Um, Glenn Stromberg is a midfielder, like I said, that would join in January. Filipovic is a forward. Paulo Padinha is a forward, as it says. Uh, Cesar Oliveira, um, Fernando Chalana. Diamantine Miranda and Xiao Han are midfielders, while Delgado is the backup goalkeeper. All right, so let's get into the season, if we will, after, with, or I should say, without any further ado. Uh, and in that uh, piece, we also see, they tell us that Ericsson quickly wins over the squad and the media in Portugal. And he names former Benfica player and fan favorite Tony as his assistant. Tony on the roster. He retires and becomes the assistant manager. Um, he becomes the first assistant, I should say, to, to Svenjoran Eriksson. And he is the yin to his yang, as the as the film points out right away. As Tony brings in-depth knowledge of the ins and outs of Portuguese football to go along with the Swedes' football mastery, if you will, in his understanding of nuances in the game. And uh, we get a brief little uh, we get a brief little bit from João Gonçalves there, and he he talks about the the team and he talks about the appointment of Tony as the assistant manager. I believe I read him off. As one of the players, I think he began the season on the roster and then became the assistant to the manager. And uh, a graphic shows us that Befica will start the season opening up with 11 straight victories. And um, it starts in round one at home. One, uh, Sorry, it starts with round one on the road away with a 1-0 win to Sporting Espinho. Followed up by a 3-0 home victory to Boavista. As we get telejournal highlights of the Boavista match. We don't have any highlights of the, the season opener in Espinho. Round 3, we are away at the Bonfim versus Vitoria Stubal with more footage from Telejournal. And you can see that this is film. This is not video. Um, this is definitely shot on film. In old-fashioned cameras, and then the film, you know, the roll of film, if you will, the canister is brought into the news, the newsroom, and run on the newscast that night. And Benfica will win this match in round three, three to one at Stubal. Always a tough, always a tough uh, destination. Even back in those days, um, Stubal would score first though before Filipovic. And Nene and Filipovich again get the goals. So I believe now that I read that roster, I did not, I do not recall reading Filipovich's name. Perhaps I did. Um, again, that's why Wikipedia has to be taken with a grain of salt. But um, 
Anyway, the the Yugoslav at the time, now a Serbian, Zoran Filipovic, with two goals to open the season, and then eh, with the other. We're going to say those two names a lot in this episode tonight, all right? We're going to say those two names a lot as they get a lot accomplished in this season. And we see a young, like I said, 34-year-old Sven Joran Eriksson pacing the sidelines in a killer all-white suit. Looking like leisure, leisure suit Larry there, uh, Sven Joran Eriksson, that is. Um, in round four, Benfica are in white at home versus Salgueiros under the lights for this one. And the commentator tells us it's not at all a good performance from Benfica. They struggle. It's one of those matches where the opposition just seems to pack it in, park the bus, if you will. Um, and in those days, the home team in the league would change, not the road team as is today. So Benfica playing in that beautiful all-white kit that so many of us miss seeing with all of these ridiculous alternate colors that the team wears nowadays. Uh, most of us just want to see that. Benfica in white when they're not in red. You want to see that that classic throwback retro looking all white kit. In those days, it wasn't retro. The hill was it was very much modern. In those days, it was very much contemporary. Um, but we see in the 58th minute, Benfica bailed out with an own goal. From Salgueiros and Benfica will take the one nothing victory and the two points. Important to note. Two points per win back in these days, not three. Two points for a win, one for a draw. Benfica starting out with eight points from their first four matches. And we move into the UEFA Cup. And let's have a listen here as we have some audio from the UEFA Cup versus... Real Betis. Here it is. Round one versus Real Betis. UEFA Cup. First round. That was the audio recap of the first leg played on September the 15th of 1982. We're at the old Stadio de Luge, huge crowd, um, over 60,000 for sure in the stadium that night. And uh, we see Alvaro, uh, we see, we start off. We start off in the next part of the film here with uh, footage of Alvaro Magalhães being brought down in the area. Referee points to the spot. Penalty to Benfica. Nene converts the spot kick and puts Benfica ahead. And 
Betis, the Spanish side, will increase the pressure as they will make substitutions and they will start bringing men forward in large numbers uh, to try to bring bring the match level. But it is Padinha who makes it 2-0 against the run of play for the home side, sending the old luge into delirium, 73rd. Minute goal for Padinha. Three minutes later, however, Betis would get an all-important away goal. Paraguayan striker Diarte's header beats Bantu to the goalkeeper's left side and reduces the lead to 2-1. to one. And that is the result that would be seen out by Benfica at the final whistle. Benfica 2, Real Betis 1, and Benfica head to Seville with that minimum lead uh, for the second leg, which is a fortnight away. Betis, however, will leave confident as they know they have the away goal in hand. So, Benfica needed to move quickly from that match and move on to the league, and they take care of business. 1-0 away to Istriel on a a sidewinder volley from Nene after combining with Pietra. And Benfica take care of business, and now it is off to Seville for the deciding second leg. I can't believe this is the first round of the UEFA Cup, and Benfica have this kind of a draw. How do you draw a Real Betis? Um, At that time, one of the real strong sides in La Liga in the UEFA Cup first round. Um, I believe in those days, it was a random draw. There was no seeding like we see today. And remember that in those days also, the competition that's now known as the Europa League was then a knockout tournament, two legs, the entire tournament. No group stage, no single leg final, two legs all the way through. So in this first round, Benfica drawing this powerhouse, Betis. So let's head to Spain. Let's head to Andalusia. All right, the the portion of Spain known as Andalusia, and in the biggest stadium in Andalusia, that is the Estadio uh, Benito Villa Maria, and it is in front of a raucous. 45,000 passionate Andalusians as uh, the Frenchman Michel Vortois is the referee. Again, this is some better video quality, um, either because it belongs to Spanish television, or, which is unlikely, or just the fact that it was produced for television um, as the UEFA League I should say UEFA Cup matches 2020 me is having a hard time going back in time and remembering that this is the UEFA Cup in these days. Um, the footage is from television because these matches were televised and there is an, a definite uh, better quality in the images. And in the 24th minute of this match, it is the Spaniard Poli Rincon putting Betis ahead on away goals and ahead on the night 1-0. It's 1-0 on the night, like we said, as Rincon beats Betu. The goalkeeper has no chance. It's now 2-2 on aggregate. But as already stated, Betis ahead on away goals. They got that all-important away goal in leg one. Befica reacts well, though. And in minute 67, 
Carlos Manuel will level the score on the night and erase the away goal advantage. Benfica now ahead 3-2 on aggregate. Seven minutes from full time and it is Nene putting it out of reach for the Spaniards as he scores on a brilliant feed from João Alves. 2-1 Benfica, 4-2 on aggregate. Benfica are moving on to round two in the UEFA Cup. And João Alves has two assists. And here is a little post-game report and some comments recorded much later. Some comments recorded sometime in the last decade by Carlos Manuel and by Alvaro Magalhães talking about this match and talking about some words from Svenjorn Eriksson in the halftime. Team talk, let's ha have a listen. Os encarnados vão para o intervalo a perder por um zero, mas não se deixam intimidar pela tarja empunhada pelos espanhóis na bancada. Vamos vingar a batalha de Alves Barrota. Deu por uma caminhada, sem dúvida nenhuma, um jogo difícil, muito difícil. Normalmente, naquela altura, Espanha, Portugal eram umas guerrinhas, umas guerrinhas boas. Era soltar para nós dentro do campo, ver essas guerrinhas, sentir essa adrenalina. Era muito uma segunda parte tremenda, leva o Benfica à vitória. Carlos Manuel e Nené dão a volta ao jogo e, durante os 10 minutos finais, os mesmos espanhóis que queriam vingança batiam agora palmas à circulação de bola da equipa portuguesa. Foi um jogo difícil, um jogo extremamente difícil para nós. O Sevilla tinha uma grande equipa. Recordo-me de um lateral esquerdo, Gordilho, que fazia aquele corredor todo com uma facilidade. Nós, nós estávamos, estávamos à espera disso, mas era um jogador que fazia a diferença também, em relação ao outro, tinha uma equipa forte e o apoio do, do, do público. E nós, na primeira parte, tivemos algumas dificuldades, muitas dificuldades. E um, estávamos já a fazer um jogo direto, futebol direto, e, um, e tivemos muitas dificuldades contra o Sevilha, uma vez que eles fizeram uma primeira parte impressionante. Estávamos a perder um a zero, estávamos eliminados. E chegámos, era o primeiro jogo em termos de competições europeias do, do Sven, do Ericsson. E chegámos, e quando acabou, acabou a primeira parte, íamos para o balneário, só os nossos olhares uns para os outros sentíamos que íamos chegar ao balneário, o Erickson ia descascar em nós, que era uma coisa bem. Era isto que nós estávamos a sentir. E quando chegámos ao balneário, sentados nos bancos, foi o contrário. O Erickson disse-nos que estávamos a jogar muito bem, fazer uma primeira parte fantástica, estávamos a perder. E que na segunda parte ainda iríamos melhorar muito mais e iríamos ganhar o jogo. O Benfica, na segunda parte, jogou à Benfica, jogou à Portuguesa e ganhamos 2 a 1. And that is one of the great uh, memorable nights or even memorable ties of the Benfica Europeu we all want back, right? Um, <laughs> that is one of those nights we talk about when we talk about what it used to be like, the magic of European football for Benfica. Here, in a very nostalgic way, we can look at it, looking back 37 years. And here is a, just, it, it's a, a tie. Benfica, you know, in a way pulling off an upset against a, a larger side. Um, really outplaying the Spanish side throughout the match. And you heard in there, um, in that report, for those of you that understand Portuguese, you heard the the narrator talk about how 
there were signs in the crowd or banners way you know hanging in the crowd um saying vingança right uh vingança para uh, a batalha de alju sorry Aljubarrota, and um, I had to look that up. All right, the the Battle of Aljubarrota, um, and the Spanish fans calling for vengeance for it or for revenge. So I looked it up. The Battle of Aljubarrota was fought in 1385. So I think that's a little bit ridiculous, but it was fought in 1835 in the town of. Aljubarrota, which is on the outskirts of Alcobasa in western Portugal. Um, not far from where my father's from, the little north, um, in the district of Leiria. And that was a battle where the Portuguese the Portuguese uh, troops defeated the Spanish troops. Um, pretty ridiculous um, banner to bring to a football match. Some 700 years later, or 600 years later, almost <laughs> exactly 600 years later. But uh, the narration does finish there, stating that um, the same fans looking for vengeance, looking for revenge, were applauding and chanting ole to Benfica's circulation of the ball and the way this Portuguese team was Passing circles around the Spanish side. Um, also, you heard from Alvaro talking about, um, and Carlos Manuel as well, talking about going into the the into the team room at halftime, expecting Ericsson to really lay into him for them for them uh, relinquishing the lead that they had built in the first leg and finding themselves behind at at, at the interval. Um, in the tie overall because of the away goal. And he said it was quite the opposite. Erickson told him that they were playing well. And that and to continue playing well. And that the tie was going to turn around. And that they would reverse the scoreline. And that Benfica if they kept that up. Were going to continue on to round two. Benfica advance past Betis. And uh, a Portuguese team advancing past the Spanish team. Always, always uh, special, but especially in those days, a little bit more politically charged, a little bit more animosity between the two nations. Um, a little guerrilla is what they were calling or referring to it in, in the video um, from those days. But it's a back-to-league football after that, and it's round six in the league, and it's an 8-0 thumping at home over Verzin. Um, as Filipovic uh, gets a poker in the match. A poker, of course, meaning four goals for the Yugoslav International. And that brings us fast forward now to October the 20th. And we're at the first leg of round two in the UEFA Cup. And Befica's opposition is the Belgian side, Lokeren. All right, Lokeren visit the Stadio de Luge in the first leg. And again, Improved video quality as it was produced for television. And it was a straightforward 2-0 victory for the far superior Benfica side. Goals from Nene and Umberto Coelho in this one. 40,000 in attendance on a European night, a Wednesday night in October at the Stadio de Luge. Round 7 in the league was next and it starts off showing a report. Um, from the voice of an RTP legend, Gabriel Alves, 
uh, a legend in journalism, a legend in broadcasting in terms of football in Portugal for RTP. And Gabriel tells us about, and he starts off the report about an injury to none other than Senor Shell. Shell, as we know him now, as a man who just left the club a year ago. Um, Fantastic gentleman of football, still to this day, a symbol of Benfica and of Benficismo all around the world. Um, he He's carried off in a stretcher on the, on this one. We see him carried off. And then we see Shalana play a nice ball into Nene, but his effort saved by a future Benfica goalkeeper, Silvino. That's right. And that is Silvino, the goalkeeping coach, longtime goalkeeping coach of one Jose Mourinho. Um, in back in this time in 82, 83, he was suiting up for Vitoria Guimarães. Um, fantastic performance in this match by Silvino in the 30th minute. Shalana brought down in the area. Penalty to Benfica. Nenez penalty is saved brilliantly by Silvino, but the rebound falls to Carlos Manuel and Carlos Manuel will fire that rebound into the goal and Benfica get the lone goal of the match. 1-0 Benfica over Vitoria Guimarães in round 7. Still perfect on the league season. Benfica 7 victories from 7 matches. 14 points top of the table. Round 8 is in Madeira at the Barreiros. And it is Nene in the 35th minute. And that's all Benfica would need to leave the island with two more points. And next up were the Belgi- would be in Belgium where Benfica would look to close out the second round of UEFA Cup play comfortably. And that would come on November the 3rd at the, the Danknam Stadion um, with one, a 2-1 victory in front of 17,000 fans to take the tie 4-1 on aggregate. And both goals in this match coming once again from Zoran Filipovic. That would have been followed up by another thumping. This time, 8-1 in the first round of the Taça de Portugal over Campinense. No video available for this match, so all we see is a still shot of a newspaper cover. Nene and Filipovic each with a hat trick. And we see a graphic of Benfica's start to the historic season now. 13 matches in all competitions. 13 victories Four, the Aguiesh, for the Glorioso. Eight of those in the league, four in Europe, and one in the Tasa. At this point, Benfica are top of the table as we see our first look at the standings. Benfica, 16 points. Two more than Porto and three more than Sporting. And that leads us into the first Clásico of the season. So, November the 14th at the Stadio de Luz. Porto are in town. It is the first Clásico um, for Porto with their new president. And at the time, of course, Jorge Nuno Pinto da Costa, uh, still the president to this day. Uh, the mafioso would start his reign of terror in Portuguese football, his rule of iron fist in this season. And Porto will visit the Estádio de Luz with first place on the line. Um, and we'll listen to a little bit of audio here from Gabriel Alves once again. And I will discuss or I'll recap his recap, if you will, uh, right after this. Nene, 
jogada de Carlos Manuel. Daqui vai nascer o primeiro gol. Triangulação perfeita. Baixos Lopes, Nené, Baixos Lopes. Podem rever o lance. Vejam como a bola vai ser tocada por Nené. Numa nesga de terreno para Baixos Lopes. Lopes. E este, na passada, a bater. Fonseca regressado à baliza do bloco do Clube no Campeonato Nacional. Sem apelo negro. Aqui, uma jogada onde o Futebol Clube Porto podia ter chegado à igualdade. Tenta agora assim extemporaneamente as redes. A ficar fora do lance. E depois o Futebol Clube Porto a não conseguir o melhor no alvejar da rede adversária. Acontece aqui um caso frasco a entrar. Humberto conta nós, não faz falta. O árbitro considerou que foi fora da área. Enfim, o lance desenrola-se ainda fora da área. Mas o capitão da equipe do Benfica vai jogar a bola. Vai. Implica pelo pé do Humberto. Portanto, intenção de jogar a bola. Neste pontapé de canto, Fonseca, o único erro no decorrer da partida. Filipovic falha por uma linha negra. Carlos Manuel, em grande, sobre o lado esquerdo, vai deixar para o Veloso. Estupendo a aparecer na colocação, na força do Renato. Era o 2-0. Parecia que as coisas poderiam estar resolvidas, mas não. O Fogo Porto é também uma grande equipa. Digna do Benfica. Aqui, o 2-1. Então, vem a segunda parte. O Futebol Clube Porto vai pressionar durante grande parte do encontro. Temos aqui uma jogada que fica a sensação de que o Sousa faz grande prioridade sobre o Filipovic. Vai entrar de trás e vai carregar pelas costas. Vejam. Filipovic a dominar. Sousa a entrar. Conta nós a carregar pelas costas o número 8 do Benfica. Aqui, uma perdida de Gomes podia ter feito dois 2 Humberto a salvar sobre a linha. Para neste passe estupendo do Filipovic para Diamantino. Lado direito, como Erickson tinha mandado. E depois, a forma como Nené vai aparecer com o crescimento normal na né? So it is Bastos Lopes with the goal. The first goal, he opens the scoreline in the 12th minute, putting Benfica ahead 1-0 in front of a jam-packed Estadio de Luz on an autumn afternoon. 35th minute, and it is Veloso doubling the lead for the good guys before Augusto Inácio cuts it back in half in the 40th minute with a goal of his own, taking it to the halftime. Uh, team talk with Benfica ahead 2-1 just before halftime. However, Porto very close to drawing level as the legend Fernando Gomes beats Bento on the dribble, goes to finish, and Humberto Coelho gets in position quickly and he saves the, the, the ball off the goal line and allows Benfica to go into the the locker room, into the team room at halftime, still ahead 1-0. Five minutes from time, and it is Nene with the header at the far post, all alone, cross from Carlos Manuel, and Benfica take a 3-1 lead, and that would be it for this Clásico. Benfica would win 3-1 and open up a four-point lead at top the league standings the following week in round 10 um 
It's on the road at Riwav. And this is this is a real nice shot of nostalgia here. Uh, those of you who have not been to Portugal, perhaps, or had not, or who are too young to remember um, these these clay or dirt pitches that they had in those time. I remember as a kid when I would go over in the summer. I actually. Got decent at playing on one of these because there was one right near my father's uh, house, my grandparents' house. Um, you know, within very short walking distance, that was the village's football pitch, and it was absolutely um, dirt. It was 100% dirt. There was the only grass on it was weeds, <laughs> and uh, uh, it was in a hole. It, it the field was in a hole at the that looked like it was carved into a mountain of clay. I mean, there was. Clay, I remember just the clay walls of earth that I'd run down from the top of the hill into the, the, the football pitch to play against the local kids. And I, I got pretty decent actually playing on that surface. It, it's it's different. It's like watching tennis um, when they would play on clay courts. There's a, there's an element of, of sliding. When you cut, you don't stop immediately. You never quite have the footing on that surface so it's a much different game and in those days Riwav still playing on a dirt pitch or a plado as they call it in Portugal um, we're on the road in Vila do Conde a jam-packed crowd absolutely overflowing crowd um, on this nostalgic looking old school plado pitch dirt pitch and there are great great um shots here of the crowd like I said literally overflowing from the stands onto the pitch there's so many Benfiquistas crowded into this stadium in Vila do Conde and um, Benfica back then as they are today well supported in the north and we see some clips in the highlights of some very brave (laughs) slide tackles and goalkeepers diving um on a on a surface that you know, from my recollection, has to be about as soft as a uh, as a car park as a parking lot. Um, can't be much much more giving than pavement. Um, you do slide, but I remember falling on that, and you would you would leave some skin behind. Um, and it's just hard to imagine uh, players today playing on one of these. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the players? You know, and let's be honest, the spoiled lifestyle most of them have today is they're obviously much better paid than any of these guys were back in 82, 83. Um, Can you imagine them? Some of them I can, actually. I can imagine a Samadij or a Gabriel or a Ruben Diaz playing on one of these pitches and just going all out. Harder to imagine, you know, the... This isn't an insult to them, but the Grimaldus or the Pizis or, or you know, even Rafa would have a hard time staying on his feet on one of these pitches, I, I would suspect, given the kind of speed he plays with. It was not such a fast game, but these were games that were very much physical battles when you would play on this surface. Um A surface that's basically obsolete today in Portugal, but as of... Tw- I don't know, 20, 15 years ago, I, I, maybe at the turn of the century, you would still see these pitches 
in the small villages and towns. And you would still see these pitches in some parts of the third division, uh, now known as the CNS, the Campeonato Nacional Seniors. Nowadays, these pitches have all been replaced with artificial synthetic turf. But an absolute trip down memory lane seeing this pitch as Benfica struggle. And, um, you know, everything is working against them. Uh, in this match, but in the 66th minute, it is Nene breaking the deadlock, be- beating an offside trap intelligently, and then hammering the ball into the far post, and the Benficistas in Vila do Conde go crazy as they spill over the walls into the pitch, some of them, and you see Benfica celebrating in a young boy running into the pig pile with the players. Uh, the match ends 1-0, two more points to Benfica, and we get an update in the standings, and we see Benfica top of the table, 20 points from 10 matches. Porto have 16, they're four back, and Sporting, the defending champions, are, are third with 15 points. And that is going to bring us to a break, all right, first break of this episode. Um and when we come back, we're going to return to European action. This is Mr. Benfica, episode 56. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinho. You can follow me on Twitter at Benfica Mr. on Instagram, at Mr. Benfica on Facebook at www.facebook.com. You can uh, forward slash Mr. Benfica, excuse me, and also at mrbenfica.com and if you want to email me I'll even I'll take some emails also from from any listeners feel free to email me at the mr benfica at gmail.com that's t h e mr m i s t e r benfica all one word at gmail.com we'll be right back Welcome back to Mr. Benfica, episode 56. We're looking back at 1982-1983. And let's pick up where we left off. We're at European action once again. Round 3, leg 1 is away to FC Zurich in Switzerland. A practical, practically I should say, a home match for Benfica. So many Benficistas in the stadium in Switzerland. So many Portuguese Immigrants with an E living in in Switzerland supporting Benfica. Um, a match that was well well uh, disputed. It was a competitive football match. And Benfica would leave Switzerland with a 1-1 draw. The goal once again from none other than Filipovic on a rebound as Benfica trailed for all of all of seven minutes in this match. Um, the Swiss side did get the first one on a header at the far post, beating Bentu. He had no chance on it. Benfica responded fantastically, and seven minutes later, pulled level. They return home for round 11 in the league. I should say return to Portugal uh, later that week, and it'd be a 4-2 win over Amora. This this uh, highlight reel was narrated by Rui Tovar. 
And the goals came from Filipovic, Carlos Manuel, and two from Nene in the home win over Amora. The following week, it's round 12, and it's a back to the Palado, back to a dirt pitch. This time, it's away to Ginazio Dalcubasa, and Rui Tovar, Rui Tovar, excuse me, again is the narrator. And we see the highlights of a frustrating afternoon for Benfica. Nene would score again on an assist from João Alves. Um, he has both goals for the side on these dirt pitches in this season. But two minutes from time. And it is Nelitu drawing level for Ginazio. And Benfica drop their first point of the season. On the road at Ginazio d'Alcubasa um, here in the beginning of December. So it is December the 5th before Benfica drop a point in the league. Um, and Benfica will respond just fine a week later with a 4-1 win at home over Portimonense. And then a few nights later it would be a convincing 4-0 victory over FC Zurich in the UEFA Cup third round second leg at the Stadio de Luge as we hear from João Gonçalves once again and this time he talks about a memory uh, that he had and João Gonçalves if you don't know has a phenomenal podcast out there you gotta check it out it's called Fever Pitch just search for Fever Pitch, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a Portuguese language podcast, but if you understand Portuguese, it's one of the best ones out there. I recommend it to everyone. And um, we hear him talking about, you know, how in those days, for whatever reason, an unexplainable reason, European matches were sometimes played midweek, mid afternoon. And he remembers skipping class. To go to to the Stadio de Luz to see Benfica play this match against FC Zurich, and he also explains in those days, you know, we you you didn't know mu as much about your your European opposition because you didn't have all these leagues on television the way you do today. You didn't know what was going on in other leagues other than perhaps from a newspaper and seeing score lines. So. You know, they saw a first leg in Switzerland where a team looked to be on Befica's level in, in that first leg. And they were expecting a difficult match, but then they see a team just completely collapse. Um, they, the Swiss side, of course, FC Zurich, completely collapsing under the pressure of the Stadio de Luge in the middle of the afternoon here. And Benfica will win 4 0 and advance to the quarter finals of the UEFA Cup. And that there would be uh, no time for celebrating as the following weekend it's round 14 and it is it is the first derby of the season. And unfortunately, there's no video from this match to watch, to look at. Um, only some newspaper clippings that, that, that we show and some still photos, courtesy of those newspapers. But it is the first defeat of the season. 1-0 away to Sporting at Alvalade, the old Alvalade, of course. And Rui Jordão with the goal for the, for, excuse me, for the Lergatos from the penalty spot. And it is the way Benfica kick off 1983, the first match 
of the new year and January 1983, the first defeat of the season. Sporting, the defending champions, will get a 1-0 victory over Benfica at the Estadio José Valad, the original José Valad. And Benfica drop two points and take their first loss of the season. But they would recover nicely in the following two rounds to close out the first the first volta, the first half of the season, as Benfica win 6-1 away. Well, they would start with a 6-1 away win in round two of the Portuguese Cup at Atletico. Atletico, of course, playing at the Estadio de Tapadinha. Today, the home for Benfica's women's team as well as for Atletico's team in the in the Campeonato Nacional de Seniors. Um, 5,000 in attendance in the stadium. Um, that day, and we see a graphic of the results from round 50. January 23, 1983, and Benfica travel up north to Passos de Ferreira to play in the Portuguese Cup. Uh, it is the round of 32 now of the Portuguese Cup, and it is another autentico goleada. That's right, another blowout as Benfica win 5-1 on the road and advance to the round of 16. Benfica would, though, then draw twice consistent, um, consecutively. First away to Boavista 2-2 and then at home 1-1 to Stubal before traveling to a 1-0 victory on the road at Salgueiros and then winning again in the Taça 2-1 in Matuzinhos over Leixões. And now Benfica advance to the quarters of this famous edition of the Taça de Portugal. We haven't talked much about that yet. That's coming later um, or perhaps way later. Um, but there is a lot going on behind the scenes in this Taça de Portugal of 1982-83. But Benfica now in the quarters brings us to round 20 at home versus Estoril. On February the 26th of 1983. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the day after one Mr. Benfica was born. That's right. One day after I was born. I was born February the 25th of 1983. The very next day, Benfica beat, they beat Istoril 3-0. At the Stadio de Luz to return to winning ways in the league or to continue the winning ways in the league. Uh, Filipovic, Diamantino, and the current BTV commentator, Zeluiz, the goal scorers on that day. Befica Cruz past Istoril. And we now uh, move on to the much awaited, much anticipated. Matchup in the quarterfinals of the UEFA League. I'm sorry, the UEFA Cup. I wanted to call it the Europa League. It's the UEFA Cup in this day. And 
a star-studded AS Roma. That's right, AS Roma. Our Benfica's um, opponents, Roma at this time, early 80s, like so many of the top teams in Italy, just star-studded, loaded with cracks. None bigger, of course, than the Brazilian Falcão. Remember earlier in the episode I talked about how this season is hot on the heels of one of the greatest World Cups of all time, which featured one of the greatest teams of all time, that Brazil team. No doubt the greatest team never to win, the greatest team not to win the World Cup in most people's eyes is this 82 Brazil team. To many Brazilians, this is the best Brazilian team of all time, regardless of the fact that they didn't win the Cup. Um, and this one of the stars, Falcão. And Falcão had some comments leading into the match in Rome. And here is what Falcão had to say about Benfica and about facing Benfica at this stage of the UEFA Cup. Well, I think Benfica classifica o mundo dos três, quatro melhores times da Europa. É, foi um grande time no passado, depois teve uma pequena crise e voltou novamente a ser um dos grandes da Europa. Então, é um adversário de muito respeito e eu não gostaria de enfrentar o Benfica agora, porque se trata de um grande time e se trata realmente da, da base principal da seleção portuguesa. That's the Brazilian great Falcão there talking about facing Benfica, a man who made a great career for himself in Italy for nearly a decade. Um, so what Falcão has to say in this interview, he said that he he thinks Benfica at this point in time are one of the four best teams in all of Europe. And he believes that he knows, or he says that he knows that Benfica come from a proud history with a great history that then went through a little bit of a of a crisis, a little bit of a hard time there in the 70s. And now they've rebounded and are strong once again. And it's a adversary, Benfica, that is an adversary that's worthy of his respect. And he was honest that he didn't really want to face Benfica at this stage of the tournament because they're a very good team. Um, with a large base of the Portuguese national team and at the core of the Portuguese national team located in this in this uh, Benfica team. And he knew that it was going to be a tough t- uh, task for Roma. But Roma, heavy, heavy favorites, despite Falcone's words in this one. But let's get to it then. It is March the 2nd, 1983. It's a bright, sunny day in the Italian capital, Rome. And at the Olympic Stadium, it's the first leg of the UEFA Cup quarterfinal. AS Roma versus SL Benfica. Um, And like we just heard, uh, Brazil and Roma star Falcone is the key player in Roma's team as they get ready to face Benfica. 65,000 in attendance at the Stadio Olimpico. And Benfica... We'll get two goals on this one from Filipovic. That's right, the Yugoslav Filipovic with two more goals. He is absolutely on fire in this UEFA Cup. No doubt he was the player of this tournament, absolutely carrying Benfica through these rounds. And um, Benfica looking good, but, but 
from the penalty spot, Di Bartolome will pull one back for the Giallo Rossi and give them a little bit of hope heading to Lisbon for the second leg. And he steps up, uh, Di Bartolome, that is, plays it cool and sends Bento the wrong way on the penalty kick. The match ends 2-1 to Benfica. Historic road victory for Benfica in Europe at the Olimpico against a giant like Roma, especially at this time in history. Roma, um, an absolute heavyweight, and Benfica will be thrilled to leave the Italian capital with the 2-0 victory. Two away goals to bring home, making it a very, very tall order very tall task for the club from the Capitale um, as they travel to Portugal a fortnight later for the second leg. In between, though, it is round 21 of the league and it is Benfica dropping another point and this time away to Verzin. Remember the 8-0 thumping Benfica gave them in the first half of the season. This time, uh, they were unable to unable to really do what they needed to do and to play up to their own high standard. And obviously, Benfica focused on Europe a lot more than they are on the league at this point, and um, you know, slipping up a little bit. But uh, it is a one-one draw. Um, Benfica. Will 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 be feel you know down a bit because they've s- seriously cooled off at this stage of the season now, and after such the high of such a big victory on the road, they come crashing down a little bit with a draw. However, Porto lose in that round, and Benfica maintain actually add to their lead and um, find themselves now uh, still in the pole position. But Porto are going to hope that they can still catch the Eagles before the finish line. We have standings now after 21 rounds. Benfica are first with 36 points. Porto second with 32. Sporting in third with 31. And round 22 is is the always difficult trip to the Dom Alphonse Henrique in Guimarães. Aqui nasceu Portugal, like they say up there. Here, Portugal was born. And Benfica using some squad rotation. And they leave Portugal's a birth city content with a nil-nil draw. Dropping another point. But um, with Roma on the horizon, it's all eyes on Europe right now. And um, it is notable, however, that it's another strong, strong performance in goal by Silvino. We would see Silvino in Benfica's goal, defending Benfica's end of the pitch just a few seasons later after Bento retires. Silvino um, really, really maybe earned his contract in these two matches this season. Um, absolutely played phenomenally against Benfica.
foi mais ofensivo no primeiro tempo, é verdade, mas sempre com a resposta pronta dos romanos, que não lhe deram descanso. Sixteenth of March, nineteen eighty-three. The Stade Luge is packed to the gills, over eighty thousand in attendance. And you heard at the beginning of that report there, it is a record gate in Portuguese football. So they announced that the tickets, uh, ticket receipts, totaled sixty thousand contos. So I did a little bit of research here. And sixty thousand contos would today would is the equivalent, I should say, of three hundred thousand euros, um, roughly, um, within a within a hundred or so of three hundred thousand euros in U.S. dollars. That is three hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. Remember, that's nineteen eighty-three money, and two thousand twenty. That is eight hundred and seventy thousand two hundred and ninety-four dollars. At the gate for this match. Um, that's a lot of money in Portugal in 1982. No question about it. Um, they're not used to charging. At that time especially charging high ticket uh, ticket costs. So it was a huge crowd. The third level, o terceiro anel. It still does not wrap all the way around the stadium the way I remember the old Stadio de Luz, you know, um, as it was as I when I was at that stadium in 1997. Uh, the third level, the third bowl, went all the way around the stadium. Um, at this time in 1983, the Tercera the third level, only covered the two sidelines. It did not go behind the two goals. So. Slightly um, smaller than when I when I visited the stadium, but however, no chairs at that time. It's all cement slabs. Eighty thousand people or more packed in there that night. Benfica playing in their home red, Roma in their road white or alternate white, and in the nineteenth minute, who else? Who else? But Zoran Filipovic to send the Stadio Deluge into locura, into delirium, into insanity. 
as Benfica now lead 1-0 on the night, and it is 3-1 on aggregate. Roma now need two just to draw level and force extra time. And it's a, it's a night where Benfica just look phenomenal. Benfica are moving the ball around like they are the 1982 Brazil World Cup team. Just uh, such nice possession. Um, the game did get difficult, though, uh, as Roma would intensify. Roma would make offensive-minded substitutions, and Roma would put a lot of pressure on Benfica's back line. But Benfica was defending well. They were resolving issues. They were anticipating well, reading the game phenomenally. And um, Roma would get one late five minutes from the final whistle, and it would be Falcão. He gets a consolation one. Um, uh, but that would be as close as Roma would get. Benfica are through to the semifinals of the UEFA Cup for the first time. This is the farthest they've ever been in this competition. Remember, Benfica are two-time European champions. Um, but it's now been quite some time since they've been to a final. And now they can just taste it as this is one of those European historic European nights that we talk about and that we hear about today and that we dream about. And um, I'm going to play for you guys right now a little clip of a couple of players talking about that night. All right. We're going to hear here from first a, a report from Gabriel Alves once again of RTP. And then you're going to hear from Carlos Manuel, from Shell, from Alvaro. And at the end, you're going to hear from the son of the late Manuel Bento, the goalkeeper. His son, Rogério, will give you um, his memories of this night. All right. So here is uh, a little report, a little summary in Portuguese, of course, of Benfica Roma second leg. Não deixaria escapar a vitória. Filipovic, sempre ele, abre o marcador a meio da primeira parte. Falcão empata a 5 minutos do fim, mas já toda a gente sabia da notícia. O Benfica estava nas meias finais da Taça UEFA. Toda a gente pensava que nós iríamos ser eliminados uh, ou, ou por outro. Iríamos perder por muitos nesse jogo. Realmente a Roma tinha uma equipa fortíssima na altura. Muitos, muitos bons jogadores e toda a gente apontava que na altura que a Roma era favoritíssima a ganhar esta competição. E nós nesse jogo fomos uma equipa veramente de veras mesmo, fantástica mesmo. Uh, atenção que a Roma tinha na altura uma, uma super equipa. Tinha Falcão, tinha Bruno Conte, tinha Di Bartolomeu, tinha, tinha uma equipa fabulosa. E o Benfica chegou ao Estádio Olímpico de Roma jogando de branco. Eu faltei uma aula para ver o jogo ao início da tarde e o Benfica ganhou. Só nos limitámos a fazer o nosso, o nosso futebol, aquilo que nós treinávamos, é, rigorosamente assim. E, e portanto, eu recordo-me perfeitamente estes jogos é, como se fosse hoje, porque nós, essa eliminatória até foi ganha mais largo do que cá. Não é? É, no, na segunda mão, tivemos que ser no Benfica, a Benfica, de forma a não, ficar, não sermos surpreendidos por, por, por um Roma que tinha grandes jogadores e que veio à luz discutir a eliminatória. Os jogadores do Benfica nessa altura sonhavam. Começaram a sonhar que podiam vencer a Taça. Faltava, duas, faltava duas eliminata uma eliminatória para chegar à final. And you heard there 
from first Carlos Manuel after the report, of course, Carlos Manuel saying that in those days that 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 Roma team was loaded with stars and that it wasn't even a matter that Benfica were underdogs. It was people thought they were going to lose, not just lose, but lose by many to this Roma side. And then they go into Rome and get that result. And Shell talks about how the tie was won really in the first leg, not in the second. And he said that Mefica just did what they they're trained to do. They did everything that they would they would train and everything they would practice during the week and in repetition. They carried it out in the pitch. And you heard from Alvaro as well talking about you know the accomplishment of beating such a strong Roma side. And lastly, you hear from the son of Bantu, Rogério uh, Bantu is his name, the son's name. And he talks about just remembering how unbelievable it was and how all of a sudden here is Benfica one round, two games away from another European final. Um, this probably one of the four or five ties in Benfica's European history that people remember fondly, especially nowadays. Unfortunately, not many people around anymore that remember the the Ozebu year the early Ozebu years you know and before these Alguaz and Coluna years where Benfica won those back-to-back European Cups 61 and 62 um not many people remember that to this day and um not many people are left that were here to see it and the truth is that the television broadcast I <laughs> was not great in those days and I've heard it, it it kind of timed out or it went down during the match and most people had to listen on the radio anyway but this is really um, the first for a new generation of Benfiquistas as they're seeing their first deep run into Europe now as we head into the money end of the season, that's right, we're heading into the late portion of the season, heading into the end of March, beginning of April now, and let's uh, let's meet our striker, our somewhat new striker in his second season with Benfica. Let's meet the legend Zoran Filipovic. All right, here's a little short tidbit on Filipovic. Zoran Filipovic tinha chegado do Partizan de Belgrado um ano antes. Era apenas o terceiro estrangeiro em envergar as cores do Benfica e o primeiro que não falava português. A língua não foi obstáculo. O futebol é a linguagem universal e Fili rapidamente estabeleceu uma grande dupla atacante com o Nene. Alto, possante, excelente cabeceador, o Jugoslavo cumpriu uma segunda época de altíssimo nível. Levava já sete golos na Taça UEFA e não ia ficar por aqui. And that's the story of Zoran Filipovic. He arrived from Partizan Belgrade one season earlier. He's the third ever foreigner to suit up for Befica and the first ever foreigner who does not speak Portuguese, meaning he was not from Brazil as the previous two. However, uh, the language would prove to be no barrier for Philly, as they call him, as he would play some brilliant football he would partner nicely with Nene and you can see we say those two names a lot in this episode and uh, they would 
make a formidable strike pair, and he would have an absolute dream season here in his second season um, with Benfica. He's a tall player who heads the ball well, who has good feet, good technical ability, an absolute um, gem for Benfica, a gem of a signing for Benfica, especially at this time when so few foreign players existed in Portuguese football. All right, so that is a little introduction to Filipovich. We go back to the league into round 23, and it is Dimantino and said Filipovich, who put Benfica past Maritimo 2 0 at the Stade de Luz, and our Aguias now are racing closer and closer to the title. In round 24, though, it is perhaps the match that will decide will decide the title for 1982-83. That's right. Befica are on the road. It is the Clásico. We are at the dreaded Estadio das Antas, the precursor to today's Estadio do Ladrão. Um, and I think the Antas was even worse. And I'm glad that that was knocked into... Uh, it was knocked to the ground and is now some apartment complex or something. But uh, it is round 24. Heading into the match now, we get a graphic of the table. Pefica, top of the table, 39 points. Porto, four back with 35. And we see a newspaper headline saying... Porto manager Pedroto is promising that Porto will massacre Benfica. Uh, Pedroto loved to 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 attack with words. Pedroto was the chosen manager of uh, Pinto da Costa. A few seasons earlier, he had been the manager of of Porto when. Pinto da Costa was the director of football. Both of them were sacked by the president at the time. And um, what happened was Pinto da Costa got pissed off. He made some connections. Mafioso that he is, of course. And he decided he was going to become president of Porto. He ran, he won, and he reinstated Pedroto as the manager. And they're going after Benfica. They're basically the two of them create this rivalry we have today, this almost... This almost guerrilla war-like um, sentiment that they feel like guerrilla warriors against us. And it's always about Befica to these two. And this is something that has been passed to Portistas now for three generations, whatever it's been. Um, and we saw it this year in 2020 with, you know, a mannequin hanging, a blow-up doll hanging from the Viatura, from the viaduct. Uh, in a Benfica uniform and another one of a referee. This is this is the seeds of that that poisonous fruit that grows today in that's in in the Stadio do Ladrão in the fan base that is the the Porquistas, as I call them, Puerto. Little did did this did <laughs> did these guys and did uh, this fan base know when they elected Pinto da Costa that. 37 years later, we'd be referring to them as Puerto, and the king's Castellano would be the primary language spoken in that club, but that's all good um, for them. Not my problem, but here we go. We, we're going to kick off 
And um, it's a match with little football and a lot of Valtudo, as I call it, the Brazilian martial arts form of the Brazilian mixed martial, precursor to mixed martial arts. Uh, the Valtudo where is what it means. Everything is fair game at the Stadio das Antas. Uh, we see a nice save on the ground from Bentu showing why the 35-year-old is still the number one for Benfica. And we see later a penalty called against Benfica. It is Bentu picking up the ball and sticking his foot out and tripping Porto's Irishman Mickey Walsh. He goes to the ground like he is absolutely been hit with a cannon. And I think I know who taught Hulk how to how to be a portista 25 years later. Um, absolute brilliant theatrics from the Irishman. Um, a true portista, of course. Referee points the spot. Penalty to Porto. But, but, once again... I don't know how many times I've seen him do this in this in this film. Bantu comes up huge with a penalty save. He dives to his left, and not only does he save Fernando Gomes' penalty kick, he holds it as well. No rebound, something you never see anymore. Bentu had the ability to catch hard shots or to catch penalty kicks when he saved them. He gave up very few rebounds. Fernando Gomes, the the striker, the star of Football Club do Porto, a team that a few seasons later would be European champions. Not on this day, however, as Bentu would come up with the huge save that for all intents and purposes probably saves the title for Benfica or clinches it, really. Uh, there is one nice Benfica play later in the second half as we see a nice give and go between Carlos Manel and Shalana. Shalana then brought down at the edge of the the area just outside by Jaime Pacheco. That's right, the future manager of Boa Vista, the future champion manager of Boa Vista, Jaime Pacheco, bringing down Shalana. Nothing comes of it, but the referee will blow his whistle for full time. And the nil-nil draw in those days, a four-point lead. With, I believe, six matches to play. Let me see as I move to my notes. Yeah, six matches to play. Leaves Benfica all but but uh, crowned as champions. Um, in a two points for a win, one point for a tie. Very hard to make up four points in six matches. And let's hear a little bit here as Bentu's son, Rogério, and along with the narrator, of course, the reporter, tell us uh, this this story. And the, he reflects for us the memory of watching his dad uh, save this penalty kick and what it meant to Benfica. Rádio das Antas Sufocante. No primeiro de muitos clássicos para Pinto da Costa enquanto presidente azul e branco, Bento dá um desgosto à plateia portista. Aos 28 minutos, o árbitro assinala penalti contra o Benfica. Gomes ajeita a bola na marca dos 11 metros. Parte, atira e Bento defende. Aos 34 anos, o número 1 um encarnado continuava a ser um dos maiores guarda-redes mundiais. Estava no auge e continuaria a prová-lo ao longo dos anos seguintes. É um lance importante 
marca se calhar essa época. Eu lembro que na primeira parte há um lance em que o meu pai recolhe uma bola e que dá um pontapé no Marco Walsh e que o árbitro marca penalti. Se calhar hoje analisando a frio as coisas é propositado o pontapé que ele dá no Marco Walsh. Naquela altura dizíamos que era teatro do Marco Walsh, mas hoje analisando as coisas a frio, honestamente, ele dá, dá um pontapé no Marco Walsh. Uh, e depois lá vai o Fernando Gomes, um penalti. Uh, Fernando Gomes nessa época ainda não tinha falhado nenhum penalti. E o meu pai acaba com essas meninas defendendo um penalti, que eu julgo que esse penalti defendido nas Antas é muito importante. Esse penalti se calhar dá o título ao Benfica nessa época. So the narrator tells us there about the suffocating uh, atmosphere at the Antas that day and uh, Porto really pressing on Befica, trying to save their season, pushing forward to try to get a victory and to keep themselves alive in the title race. If they can reduce it to a two-point lead, they still would have a fighter's chance. And he says that it's all except for a penalty kick where Bantu comes up with the save on Fernando Gomes. And then we hear from Rogério, uh, Rogério Bento, the son, of course, of, of Manel Bento, the goalkeeper, the late Manel Bento. And uh, he talks about it. And he points out that, uh, that Gomes was yet to miss a penalty kick all season. And it points out, the narrator says, how this is the first home Classico for Pinto de Costa, first of many as president. And it already had the atmosphere that we see today, the intimidate, the attempt of intimidation and the, the, the brute forcefulness and the, the physicality that we know Porto for today. This is the, the this is the, like we said the seeds. This is the birthplace of that Porto that we all hate to this day that we all hate today. Right? That that we all battle with and that has just been an absolute uh thorn on all of our sides. Anyone my age, anyone in your mid thirties right now has has had enough of this Porto. You this is the the beginnings of what we grew up witnessing throughout the nineties. And um However, on this day, Manel Bent with the save from the penalty spot and the nil-nil draw keeps Benfica with a four-point lead, six matches to play. Like I said, hard to make that up. Rogério says there that he believes this penalty kick gives the title to Benfica. Um, As we head into the the month of April and... uh, not to throw a cliffhanger, but that is where episode 56 will come to an end, everybody. This is to be continued. If we talked about the entire season, we would go on for a couple more hours. So, this will be to be continued in episode 57. And I'll just give you um, how it's going to work, okay? Um, I don't want to leave anybody hanging um what's gonna happen so episode 57 we're gonna pick this up in april starts off with a quarterfinal in the cup versus sporting okay um we'll move on to the semis and the final of the uefa cup okay that is, and of course, the culmination of the league season. It'll probably be a fairly lengthy episode again because even in those half dozen, less than that, matches, 
Um, there, there's a lot to talk about. Okay, that's going to be episode 57, and then 58 will be completely on the Portuguese Cup, the background, the final against Porto. Okay, and in what is the most bizarre Portuguese Cup final ever. And until maybe this coming 2021, if we play it, it, it the circumstances in which that gets played may may uh, beat the 1983 one. But for now, the 1983 Portuguese Cup final, the most bizarre. Um, of course, m- many of you probably know it was not played at the Jamor. It was played at the Antes, the home of uh, Football Club do Porto. It was not played in May or June. It was played in August, at the end of August. Right, though, a week before the season started, or two weeks before the kickoff to the season, uh, is where it it was played. So, um, we'll talk about how that happened. There's a lot to unravel there. That in itself needs its own episode. Uh, there's a Vitorias uh, in Patrimonio, uh, or Patrimonium Vitorias um, episode that is dedicated completely to that final. I'll I'm gonna watch that obviously. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that. Oh, there's a lot to research, a lot to talk about in that match. So we got two packed episodes coming up in short time, 57 and 58. And that will be the trifecta that makes up this three-part review of 1982-83. Um, the season in which, you know, I was born. So it's obviously a special one to me. Plus it's a historic one for Benfica. And, um, that is where I'm going to leave you today. In episode 56, stay tuned to this to this feed, to this channel, and to this space. And episode 57 will be out as soon as possible. Um, like I said, I'm working like crazy right now, so I don't know how soon I can put that out. Um, it's just, it, and I feel bad saying this with so many people out of work. Um, I... I'm at the other end of the spectrum now as an essential employee at both jobs, both essential businesses as determined by the local, state, and federal government. Um, So I have a lot of work. Um, Hopefully, by this time next week, episode 57 will have dropped, all right? And um, I'll talk to you then. This has been Mr. Benfica. I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu signing off. Don't forget to follow me on the social media at Twitter, uh, or I should say on Twitter at Benfica Mr. On Instagram at Mr. Benfica. Facebook is www.facebook.com forward slash Mr. Benfica. Mr. Benfica.com. And of course, if you prefer email, you can email me. The Mr. Benfica at gmail.com. All one word, of course. No spaces, no underscore, nothing. Just the Mr. Benfica at gmail.com. Take it easy, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay home if you can, okay? Let's get this thing flattening. Let's get this virus conquered. Let's reconquer, you know, our world here, okay? Força Benfica, pelo Benfica, somos Benfica, we are Benfica, all the hashtags, Benfica Europeu, um, all of those hashtags. Soon enough, we'll see our team play once again. Hang in there, everybody, and I'll see you next time on Mr. Benfica.
Ele nos conquista e leva a paz.